Good evening, LCM. Or should I say good evening, family? Tonight is Thursday, December 22nd, 2022. And the title of tonight's message is Everything Glorious. We are very excited to share the word with you tonight and relay what the Lord has been putting on our hearts as pertaining to last Sunday's message, Consecrated Family. That message was such a tremendous blessing to us. Was it a blessing to you guys? Amen. Coming from Pastor Wade and his son, Gabriel. We couldn't help feeling inspired and ready to enter these next weeks, upcoming weeks with our family. We're excited to do this with you guys, our family. Particularly, it was moving to hear them speak about the father-son concepts in the word. And to hear the impact that this way of life has in our body, our collective body that spans even to countries across the world like India. This family that God has given us is truly a miracle in every sense. It cannot ever become a normal or common notion that this family that we are part of is just ordinary. What we have here is a special, is special and it takes years to build. It takes careful attention and sacrifice on the part of many to safeguard and protect what we have. And therefore, we should be encouraged to be a part of it. Amen? Amen. Tonight, we want to share with you what has been on our hearts and we have been engaging on what makes the family special, this family special, and how we can magnify what God is doing here in our, in our midst. Are you all ready? Are you ready? No one's too, too frozen to interact, right? Your fingers aren't, you're good. You can turn your Bible pages and everything. Okay, just want to make sure. All right. All right, so we're going to start out in Isaiah 42, verse 21. Say everything glorious when you're there. Fast ones on the front, front row. The daughter of Pastor Wade. Man, she's quick. Isaiah 42, 21. It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. Honestly, when you read this verse, this is a verse that you can spend eternity meditating on. This has been one of my favorite verses for a long time. I love the Torah. I love the law. I love studying the law. I love, I love what the law does for you. I love what the law does when you put it into action. But when I think about this verse, I can honestly spend an eternity meditating on just this verse. The phrase, to make his law great and glorious, is one to be pondered. What does that mean exactly? What did God do to make his law great and glorious? How did he make his law great and glorious? What does it mean to make his law anything? You know, in my mind, his law is his law. It always was there. It always is there. Always will be there. How did God make his law great and glorious? Well, while we won't be able to fully answer all of the surrounding questions regarding this topic tonight, we can engage in an amazing study together that will hopefully raise more questions because that's what a good study does. To start, in reference to Isaiah 42.21, we want to look at John 1.1 1, 1, and we want to compare the two. We want to look at John 1.1, 1, 1, but keep in mind Isaiah 42.21. Amen. When you get there, say everything glorious. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Let's not let this verse be too familiar, right? This is one that we can all quote as we're sleeping. 
But let's not let the familiarity of it uh, uh, dole us to sleep tonight. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning, what does that conjure up to you? you that verbiage, in the beginning, where does that take you? To Genesis, to creation, right? Genesis 1, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. In this passage, Rabbi Yohanan is commenting on the relationship between God and His Word. So we're thinking back to creation, but now we're, we're talking about John 1, 1. And there are some profound statements that are coming out of this. Number one, the Word existed at the beginning. Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Was there, was there a, a Bible floating around just in space somewhere? The Word existed at the beginning. The Word was with God. And the Word is or was God. These are some very profound statements that we, we want to unearth with you tonight. And this stirs up more provoking and more profound thoughts about the relationship between God and His Word. Are they separate? Are they one? Is it both? Well, man, I'm glad we got you guys thinking. Let, let's, uh, let's continue interacting with these things. So to interact with this relationship between God and His Word further, we want to read Proverbs 8, through 25. But before we do... There's something you need to know about Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8 could be taken many ways. But one of the best ways to understand what is happening in Proverbs 8 is to recognize that in Proverbs 8, the literal word of God is being personified and it is speaking something. I floated over a lot of heads in this room. You're like, what does that mean? I thought the word of God always speaks. What I mean, what I mean. Of course we know that the word of God is alive and it speaks. But in this passage, it contains the voice or the words of the word of God or the sayings of the word of God in a first person perspective. So check out Proverbs 8, 22, starting in 22. It says, the Lord brought me... Me. Who is this speaking in this passage? It is the Word of God speaking. The Word of God is saying, The Lord brought me forth as the first of His works before His deeds of old. I was appointed from eternity. That's fascinating, isn't it? I was appointed from eternity from the beginning before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains were settled and placed. Before the hills, I was given birth. The word was given birth? It's just all fascinating. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world. I was there when he set the heavens in place. When he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep. When he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep. When he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters could not overstep his command. And when he marked out the foundations of the earth. You know, when you're reading this passage, you're seeing the word in first person speaking. I was there from the beginning. I was there before the world began. That sounds an awful lot like John 1.1, doesn't it? 
John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. I wonder where Rabbi Yochanan got such a notion. Could it be he's reading Proverbs 8? But let's keep reading in Proverbs 8. Man, let's pick up in verse 30. It says, then I was the craftsman at his side. I mean, let's just stop there. That personification, right? That craftsman. When I think of a craftsman, I think of somebody like Juan over here on the front row, right? I think of someone like Elder Charlie, a master craftsman who can do anything while he's sleeping. We might need some plumbing repair in a couple days. Uh, maybe. We'll see. We'll see how we fare. He says, then I was the craftsman at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. You see the emotions of mankind coming out, the rejoicing, the same thing we did in worship tonight, rejoicing in the very presence of God. If you would have been following along in John, you would realize that this is exactly what John 1, 3 through 4 says in verse 3 it says through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life and that life was the light of men what a fascinating detail about the word of god it was a it was a craftsman right working at the side of god just like a son works at his father's side like josiah joining me on projects uh, like Juan having Mimo joining him on projects, a son working at the father's side. See, the word of God is being personified as rejoicing and delighting in what was being made, not just working, but also taking pleasure in the work, right? We can't get so caught up in the work where we don't actually take pleasure in what we are putting our hands to. We can see the truths of Isaiah 42, 21 embedded in this process, you see, while the Word was working at the Father's side, right? The Word, the person of the Word, was working at the Father's side. What was being made brought glory to both God and His Word. It pleased God to make His Word glorious. Amen? Let's continue on with Proverbs 8, going back there, start picking up in verse 32. Now then, now remember, quickly. This is the word speaking. And it says, now then, my sons, listen to me. You mean the word has sons? Hmm. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. But whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. At the end of this selection of scripture, the word of God, speaking in first person, is exhorting his or her sons to keep its ways. That is a fascinating detail that you have to capture in this passage. The word of God is speaking to its own sons, and it's exhorting them, keep my ways. What a fascinating detail to glean from. And this theme will be carried out throughout our message. The theme is as such. The word was made glorious by the father and the word seeks to make its sons glorious. You capturing that? Let's say it one more time. 
because we're going to move on and we're going to tie in some other things. The word was made glorious by the Father, and the word seeks to make its sons glorious. Now that we've established that, let's go back to the good news of Rabbi Yohanan in John 1.14, because we're going to build on this concept as we go through the book of John, because where we are going is only going to bring more glory to the word. Amen. Amen. John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, what we saw before is that the word was with God from the beginning. The word was working with God like a father and son. You guys following with us, right? From the beginning, like a father and son working together. Now we understand that the word actually became flesh and was the perfect son of God in Jesus. With this understanding, you could read Isaiah 42, 21 in this manner. It pleased the Lord for his righteousness sake to make his son great and glorious. You see where we're going with this? With respect to God, these two aspects of his word and a son are inseparable. His word and his son are the same. That is because his son was the literal, living, active, eternal, and inspired word. You see, as Christians, when we, when we focus on the birth of Jesus Christ, and we say that's when he, the son of God was born, what we're really getting is kind of like you watch a very, very good movie, and you're very excited about it. You're all wrapped up in it, Keith. You're all wrapped up in the, the universe of the particular movie and the theme. And then they make a prequel. And you get to see exactly what led up to your favorite movie. See, what we focus on is the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But understand that he was his son all the way from the beginning. And when you look at the Word of God in the Tanakh, you get to see the Son being made glorious through the Father and Him working together, the Word of God. And now we see the literal, the living, the active, eternal, and inspired Word, Son of God in flesh. And God is making His Son glorious, just like Isaiah 42 said, just like He had been doing from the beginning. You see, this takes on a whole new meaning to sonship when we consider God's fatherhood and how he made his son glorious. He has been working with his son since the beginning. His son has been at his side, and God has been working with his son to bring this creation into shalom with himself. He made his son glorious through his word because his word is his son. I know that's kind of an enigma wrapped in a riddle, but hear this. He made his son glorious through his word because his son is his word. There is no disparity between his son and the word of God because God the Father perfectly formed his son with his perfect word. You are seeing a father making a son through the word of God, but perfectly. My friends, the Father is the perfect exa example of how we raise sons. The very quick point here is how did God make his son glorious? Through his word. Through his word being acted in his son. 
So if you want to know how to perfectly raise sons, look how God did it. You see, we must endeavor to make sons at our side glorious through his word. That is the only way to do it because that is the way God did it. We have to make sons at our side glorious through his word and there is no other way. And if we back up just two verses in John 1, we see something that is just as awesome. Y'all back it up to verse 12 in John chapter 1. It says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, hallelujah, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. I want to encourage you, church, that you have the right to become sons of God. It is something that he has given you. It is something that he has offered to you. It is for you. You have that right. And how do you do that? How do you become sons of God? We can interact. It's okay. This is a family. That's how we started out, right? You, be- you believe in his name. You believe in the name of Jesus. Believe. I believe. I believe. No. Not only that, but obedience to his word. That is what makes you a son of God. You have that right to become a son of God. And in that becoming the son of God, you obey his word. It's through his word that you have the right to become glorious. The same way that Jesus was made glorious. And you do it the same way God did. You become a workman beside him. See, this isn't the Lone Ranger uh, model. This isn't something that I get off in my, that I do in my, I, my prayer closet all alone by myself. This is not something that's just, it's something we are, we are working beside the Lord. We are coming beside the Lord and becoming, coming beside each other and doing it the same way that God did. And if all this wasn't enough, it doesn't stop with you, right? It doesn't stop with you. It's not just you're a son. You can also make sons the very same way. Amen. Amen. So what we've seen so far is that God made his son glorious as his word. And he also makes you a son, a glorious son, through his word, just like he did with Jesus. Check out Philemon 10. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. You're familiar with this passage, but interact with it. Paul said, who became my son. That means he wasn't born to Paul. How did he become Paul's son? Well, through the word. When did he become Paul's son? When Paul was in chains. That ought to tell you something about Paul. See, Onesimus became Paul's son by learning his way of life and learning the word through Paul. And similarly, Paul became his father by teaching the word as Paul had learned the word, teaching the word to Onesimus. You see, Paul became a glorious son through the word of God, and that caused him to make other men glorious through the word. This is exactly what Jesus did, and it is reflected in Hebrews 2.10 through 11. Notice that Paul is a son who is made by the word, and he is making sons that are made by the word. Listen to Hebrews 2.10 through 11. In bringing many sons to glory, 
it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. You see, Jesus is a glorious son. Would you disagree with that? No, of course not. Jesus is the glorious son who is the author of our salvation. And he is making other sons through the word. And Hebrews, this passage in Hebrews declares that we are of the same family. And not just that, but Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. So what kind of confidence should that give us, church? Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of God, is not ashamed to call us brothers. Andrew, he is not ashamed to call you a brother. Spencer, he is not ashamed to call you a brother. He is not ashamed because he is making you glorious. Just as, as he was made glorious, he is making you glorious. Amen. Amen. See, because he was made glorious by the word, he is the word. And he is making us as sons he is making us glorious, us all through the word. The word of God is our common blood. We got, we got a lot of different bloods going out, a lot of different blood types, right? Negatives, A's, B's, O's, all this kinds of stuff. But this is our, com this is our common blood. We got, we got pure bloods. We got. I just know blood in, blood out. Blood in, oh. <laughs> but the word of God is our unifying common blood. Our shared heritage and our common legacy. It is what makes Jesus glorious. It is what makes you glorious. It is what makes our households and our generations glorious. It is where our sonship is derived from. Paul is doing for Onesimus what Jesus did for Paul and what God did for Jesus. This will change the way you read a passage like 2 Corinthians Chapter 3, verse 2. Verse 2. You yourselves are our letter. You yourselves are our ketuv. As in ketuvim. You realize that? Paul is looking at a church, looking at sons in the faith, and saying, you are our ketuvim. Just like God looks at his son and says, you are my word. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You see, just like Jesus was a reflection of God's word, Paul was a reflection of Jesus' word. And his aim was to make his sons a reflection of the word of God as it was given to Paul. Do you realize what we are doing in this house with sons is the same thing that God did with his son? We are enacting them by the word of God to good service, to good acts in this body. See, this is the ultimate definition of sonship, and it cannot be done any other way. That is what makes us family. That is what makes us a part of one another. And that is what raises up our sons is the word of God and nothing else at all. I could tell you, I have a lot of things inside of me that I really hope my sons pick up one day. I love history. Like, I really do. 
And I can't wait for one day for me and my son to be smoking a pipe with slippers on and a robe and watch history documentaries together. I can't wait. But you know, those desires fall so short of what God truly wants for us and our kids. Our highest aim has to be God's highest aim. His highest aim was to make his law great and glorious, and he did by sending his son to you. Therefore, it is now our job to make his law great and glorious through his son and make it great and glorious in our kids. This is the ultimate definition of sonship. There is no other fatherhood available. Our sons will be a reflection of the word of God as it is manifested through us. Our sons will take on the word of God that has been given to us, this house, our families, our households, and it will manifest in them. God, that's encouraging, isn't it? Many of you got lifelong words in this house. God's spoken to you about you and your generations. Your son will be a reflection of that. And that is how they are your sons in the kingdom. It's not just by birth. This makes the word of God our highest aim. It anchors our souls to the Father, and it makes our sons glorious. Through his word, your anchoring to him as a father is stronger than ever. And it makes our sons glorious when you're anchored to the Father through his word, and you pour your, his word into your sons. Church, you, LCM, are being made glorious through the word of God. How can we not see it? How can we not sit here and look at what God has done in the last decade, the last five years, and see that the word of God has made everybody in this room great and glorious. From the word handed down to our fathers in this house, from the word handed down to our elders, from the father, and coming down to the sons in this house, it has made us glorious, church. That is how we can go around the world and we can impact other men and women for the word of God and we can bring glory to God through it. And yet while that's happening, there is a thriving body here in Houston and all over the United States. It's because the word of God is making us glorious as it's handed down from fathers to sons. We could say about this, it, could, it is said about this church you are God's ketuvim. You are God's letter being written to the world. We mentioned Spencer. Spencer, you are a letter handwritten by God, handed down from the fathers, and you are being put on display to the world, church. It has come down to Jesus from Jesus to the apostles, from the apostles all the way to you, and you, church, are a reflection of the word handed down from God to his very son. Amen. You know how we become that letter that is read by the nations? The obvious is staring right in front of us, right here, right? I'm excited that the Lord changed my life. I'm excited that the spirit of God drew me to him and his word is shaping me, informing me, making me to something that I could never imagine. And then he gave me the ability to pour out to my family, but not just my family, my wife and my kids, but to my family. We are all family. This is the Lord has drawn us in here together by his spirit. And he has he has captured us and solidified us with his word. And because of that, we then we are able to be that letter. 
that is spread out to the nations for everyone to read. We read these letters in the Bible that are written that, that Paul wrote letters, right? And we've been reading them. They've been read for thousands of years now. How do you think that happens? Paul's raising up sons like Onesimus. He was a son that was raised up, that was poured into. He's pouring out. And now there's a letter with Paul's, with Onesimus, with, with Philemon, with all these men of God that nations are reading about because they were part of a family of God. They had sonship and they had fatherhood working for them. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Speaking of family. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 and 30. When you get there, say everything glorious. It says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, not one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, hallelujah, and in the age to come, eternal life. See, how many of us not only know this passage, this can become a familiar passage to a body like this, but you not only know it, but you've experienced this passage. Has anyone experienced this passage? We've left homes, we've left fields, we've left blood relatives. See, the Lord has been faithful to us to give us a hundred times as much in this place, in this body, in this family. This is our inheritance. And we are making, we are increasing the inheritance that will go for generations and to nations around us. Just look around you. Look around you to the families that are surrounded. We're surrounded by family. We are family. We are brothers and sisters. All my brothers and sisters and me. We are committed to wrapping ourselves and each other in the word of God. Amen. This is what makes us sons who are fathers making sons. So the question may beg, how do we make sons? Well, I'm glad you asked us. Turn with us to 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. Before we do, sometimes you just have to look around and, and, and just say, look what God has done. You know, I was bragging last week that Spencer and I have gotten to become so much closer this last year. And honestly, it couldn't be any, life couldn't be any better than that. Like Spencer's just such an awesome brother, spending every uh, moment with him is, is just freaking, every time he texts, hey, can I come over? I'm like, dude, stop asking. Just show up. Like, I want you. And I'm just amazed through the word of God and what God can do in this body. You could be here for 10 years and then enter a season where you and a brother that you haven't connected with as much enter into this glorious relationship and then you start sharpening one another. It's just been beautiful. Look at what, look at what the word of God has done here. But on making sons, 1 Peter 5, 2 is practical, applicable, and insanely important. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You see, as shepherds, as fathers, we watch over the flock. 
as the word of God is being implemented in us, we have eyes to see where the word of God needs to be implemented in others around us. We guard them. As the word has guarded us, we guard others with the word. We protect them through the word. We eagerly serve them, just like Jesus did for us. In fact, you could say the word of God did for us. So we must do what the word of God did for us to others. We eagerly serve them, like Jesus did, who being the very word of God, he was unchanging in his nature, but he gave himself up for his flock or his sons. You remember in Proverbs 8, it said the word had sons? You see, a secure son, a secure son is one that is secure in the word. And a secure father is one that is secure in the word, but helping secure others in the word. You see, we are examples to our flock, not just in our successes, but also in our failures and struggles. You see, in that relationship between God and Jesus, there's no sin involved. There's no sin in the Father. There's no sin in Jesus, or there's no sin in the Word of God. But there is sin in us. And so we have to walk that out to secure the sons under us. Walking out the Word and teaching our sons the Word is done at the times when you talk about the Word with them, but it is most potently done whenever you are demonstrating the Word in your failures. When you were revealing, this is where I failed, this is what the scripture says, but my God, I am going to stand on the word of God. I feel like a failure, but the word of God says this about me, I choose to stand on the word of God. And not just in our failures, in our successes. Son, this is where I got it right. The word of God says this, it taught me how to do this, and I implemented it, and it brought this result. But most importantly, in our failures and our struggles, having Full transparency from fathers to sons, from man to son, that teaches them a lot about the Word of God. Amen? Amen. That is a, a concept that is uh, growing and changing in me as a, as a father with a son, with sons and daughters. Sometimes I want to be uh, invincible, right? You want to be Superman for your kids. You don't, nothing can shake you. Nothing can move you. And, and if you're not careful, uh, that, that actually does a disservice to them <laughs> when you not, it, it really does, uh, because what it does is it, it cripples them and allows them to not see how you overcome those failures and full transparency, transparency is the only way, the only way for our sons to not just be glorious for us to make them glorious, but to make them more glorious than us. Because the things that, that I am working through, that I am overcoming at 44 years old, my son at 13, it's not even a thought for him. It's not even on his radar because he has learned from me how to overcome it at 13, 14, 15, 18. It's not something that he is pushing through because I have been transparent. And that's what true fathership does. True fathership is transparent. It opens up my life. To my sons and my daughters. And not just. Let's not be naive and say it, it stops with my kids. This is for my brothers. I can't tell you how much. How much I have loved growing with Marlon and Keith. As a ten, my brothers. Man. I, I've known Keith. How long have we known each other? Like 15, 18 years. But those, those previous like whatever years. I don't know. Over a decade. 
We're nothing compared to the last two years the Lord has knit us together. We are brothers. We are brothers because of what the Lord has done. And not being ashamed because, remember, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers. So we are not ashamed to call each other brothers. Amen. Turn with me to Proverbs 27. Verse 23. Continuing this fatherhood and shepherding language. It says, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. If you do a little digging, you might be able to reword this to sound something more like this. Maybe a more literal uh, translation would say, know the face of your sheep. Station the hearts of your flock. See, it's just not knowing the condition. Oh, you're, you're, you're looking good over there. You're a little dirty. You need to dust off. You know, it's not, that's, it's not, we can, we can read this and glaze over. There's more depth to it. I know the face of my sheep. I yada. How do, how do I know the face of my sheep? I get in front of them. I spend time with them. So it's not about carrying the same last name. It's not about being from the same church, right? We're members of LCM. Okay. What does that mean? No, it's about spending time with the flock. It's about being face-to-face in front of them, whether it's team drinking or whether it's whatever it is that that you are doing in the moment. It's knowing the face of your flock, actually spending time with them. We know the face of our flock, and we station the hearts of our flock. See, this is setting the hearts of our people setting the hearts of our sons, setting the hearts of the people around us on the right path. And what is that right path? It's the Word of God. Right? The Word of God is what makes our path right. What gives us direction when we wake up and we go to sleep. All of these things as we're walking, the Word of God gives us the right path. And, and as fathers, talking to sons, and talking to brothers in this family that we're a part of, we set the hearts of our people on the right path. This is what good fathers and good shepherds do. Amen. Speaking of the way, speaking about the way that a father deals with a son, turn with us to Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. Because you're going to see God dealing with another one of his sons in this passage. This is God speaking to his son Israel. And how to raise up their sons. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You see... There is a simplicity in this passage about wrapping your sons and family with the word. There's just a beautiful simplicity about this. He says, do this when you sit at home. It's, a very, it's, as, it's as simple as just talking about it at the table. Yeah. Or talking about it uh, on a couch. Yeah. Or talking about it anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But when you sit at home. How about when you walk along the road? As you're driving to your next job site. Or you're on your way to the store and you have your son literally sitting next to you. It's as simple as, hey, 
Buddy, what's been your favorite passage lately? You see, too many, th- too many times it can be easy to complicate these things. We can get wrapped up in thinking that every time we have to have a six-string uh, study ready before we engage our sons. And that's not exactly how God prescribed it. God just said, when you're walking along the road, talk about it. When you're sitting down at home, talk about it. Some of the best conversations have been driving away from this building with my son. Hey, what did you learn tonight? By the time we get home, we're talking about the deity of Christ and how his death atones for sin. I mean, it's, it's insane. But the simplicity of just doing this, talking about it day in and day out, it begins to make them more glorious because they are meditating on it day in and day out. Just talk about the word. Simply ask your sons, what have you been reading lately? Ask your brothers, what have you been reading? You know, I want to brag on, on uh, my brother JJ right here. Every week when we send our submissions to the 12-man group, I hear JJ's submission. And JJ always starts out his two-minute submission to the pastors. Well, I was talking about the word with Natalie this week. I was talking about the word with Josiah. I had all my kids sitting, sitting around, and we were just chatting around the word. JJ is always starting out his submission like that. And we can all see the effect. When you see the Molochs, you see a very tight family. You see a very tight-knit family because you have a father that is passionate about sharing the word with his family together. JJ is an amazing man. He has been doing this for a while now, and you can see the effects in his kids. Josiah rides with me from time to time, and he is talking about the word on an incredible level. That's because JJ's been pouring into him. And honestly, that is the highest accreditation that any man can get than what JJ is doing with his family. Turn with us to Galatians 4.19 as we begin to work towards a close. Listen to, the, listen to the heart that Paul has in this passage. Because this is a heart that we also must have too. Not just for now, but for the days to come. When more sons are added to this house, this must be our heart. When we go out there to rescue sons from the fierce, plunder, taken from captives, this must be our heart. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Remember where we started. John 1.1, Christ is the Word. The Word became flesh. So you could say, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until the Word of God is formed in you. I am in the pains of childbirth until I see the Word fully formed inside of you, my son. I, I... I uh, echo what Pastor Wade said last week. Those times of talking about superheroes or, Dad, which tank do you think would, be, would knock out this tank? Or, you know, uh, what did soldiers eat in World War I? That kind of stuff. I love those questions. But when my son started asking, I'm like, Son, I want the Word of God formed in you. Let's talk about the deep things of God. This is Paul speaking to sons in Galatia, and he's saying, I'm in pains until the word of God is formed in you. Fathers in this room, are you in the pains of childbirth until the word is formed in your sons? 
And it's all too easy to get distracted from that. It's all too easy to focus on our daily routine. But do we need to restore a little bit of pain, a little bit of laboring to see the Word of God's formed in our sons? This is the heart of a godly father. Worldly fathers want all kinds of things for their sons. But for us in this house, this is the heart of a father, that I will do anything to make sure that my sons succeed in the Word of God, to have an education in the Word of God, to have a familiarity in the Word of God, to have an interaction with the Word of God, to actually meditate with it, wrestle with it, and have it produce something inside of them. And this is the heart of the fathers that are here in this room. We've seen it in our pastors, we've seen it in our elders, and we have labored with it along the way. That heart must be with us as these days go on, I assure you. There is a phrase that we used in the beginning of the message. It says, the word was made glorious by the Father, and the word seeks to make its sons glorious. And this is the, this father-son relationship that we are just enjoying engaging with. And you know what, you know what I'm confident in? Is that Justin Treister is a man who wraps his children in the word of God. You know, I know that because he wraps himself in the word of God. He is surrounded by fathers who wrap him in the word of God, who spent years doing so. And because of that, I have full confidence that his sons will be made not just glorious, but more glorious than he is. And that is something to be acclaimed, something to be attributed to. Uh, Justin is a man of the word of God, a man who is wrapped in the glory of the word of God. And you will. Have sons that are made even more glorious than you are. I am confident of that. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. This is our last passage. And as you do, I want you to think back to the first day you showed up here. You showed up at LCM. Or if you're old enough, maybe it was LCMF, right? <laughs> we dropped the F. We dropped the F. Got the F out of here. <laughs> what was it that that drew you here and what was it that caused you to stay you could say that that drawing was the moving of the spirit right the spirit draws you what grounded you? once you got here when you showed up like what what was it that grounded you for me it was the commitment to the standard of the word of god Never changed, never moved. You can listen to sermons from the 2000, early 2000s. Listen to the, uh, the voice inflections might have changed from then to now, but the message, it's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> but what I appreciate is that the word has never changed. The message coming from the fathers of this house have never changed. The spirit has drawn and the word has grounded all of us that are sitting. And we are all sons. We're all brothers of this house. This, this is what makes us family. Romans 8 and verse 14. 14 through 17. It says, because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, church, we have been led by his spirit. You have been led by his spirit and you are sons of God. You should be confident in that. Your father has brought you in as a son. You are a son. You should never question that. You are a son. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. We, together, as a family, we cry, Abba, Father. This is what makes us a family, a true family of God, because we are all sons of God. Brothers with Christ that are acting like Christ. Sons that are made glorious through the word. Fathers making sons more glorious through the word. So if you would stand with us, and if we could admonish you with anything as we are rapidly closing out this year and this message, it would be the simple twofold admonishment. Number one, let us renew our commitment to the Word of God, restoring our personal relationship to God through His Word. Throwing off the distractions, throwing off the excuses, throwing off all the devilish thoughts and feelings, and commit to being made glorious by His Word. And two, let us renew our commitment to seeing our sons have that very same commitment to the Word of God, nay, a more glorious commitment to the Word of God. Being shepherds that faithfully oversee the flock that the Lord has entrusted us with. Church, we know that this is your heart and this is your desire. We know it because we see the hard work. We see the fruit that's coming out of the hard work that you put in day after day. You are glorious sons who are making your sons more glorious. And the Lord's desire is to make his word more great and more glorious through you and your sons. Let us pray. Mighty God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you drew us. God, by your spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that your word never changes, God. God, I thank you for the family of believers, God, that is in this house, God, that you are uniting us more and more every single day, God. God, would you help us, God? God, you've already granted a spirit of sonship, but Lord, would you help us, God? God, to make your word more glorious in our lives, God. And God, would you help us to make your word more glorious? in the lives of our sons, in the lives of our brothers, in the lives of the families around us, God. God, we love your word, God. God, we love it, God. God, and we want to go from glory to glory. We want to, to add, Lord, what you want to be in us, God. And God, we want it to carry on for generations, God. We want it to go to the nations, God. That is your desire. That is your inheritance, God. God, we want you to have what you desire. We want you to have the inheritance, God. God, we commit to you, God. God, and we say, have your way in us, God. God, we say, make your word glorious in us, God. And help us to make your word. Help us to make your word glorious in our sons and in the families around us. Amen. I'd like to share a reflection on the message as our closing and then have us worship together. Do you mind taking a seat?
you put Philemon 10 and 11 on the screen? I love how the Lord knits together the things that we do. I knew that the brothers were going to share Isaiah 42, 21. I did not know the rest of the message. And when you sense that the Lord is putting something together, we want to make sure that we put it together. We began our service by admonishing you that you have been entrusted with the mysteries of God, that you should regard yourself differently. So I wanted to just take a couple of the passages that they shared and put an explanation point on that for you. Is that okay? Philemon's, Philemon, Philemon, verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, my son, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Can we get real with each other about this? You and I were born as useless bastards. But we have been born again as glorious sons. That's an identity change that we have to embrace. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it's true. It's what the Word of God declares is true. You are useful, glorious sons because the Word has made you so. Hebrews 2.11 He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified. Do you know that the word saint means one who is sanctified? You are saints. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That source is the word of God. It is what has set you apart. It is what has sanctified you. It is what has turned you from a useless bastard into a glorious son. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. He's not ashamed of you, and you must not be ashamed of yourself or of him. You are his workmanship. You have been created in Christ Jesus for his good works. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God that brings salvation to all men. And as Romans 8.15 says, you have received a spirit of sonship. He has given you his word that has made you a son. And he has given you his spirit that declares you are in fact his son. That's an identity change, saints. That's what makes you useful to the world around you. They need what you have. You have been entrusted with the very secrets or mysteries of God. 2 Corinthians 3.2 is Paul's great confidence in the power of God to make you sons. You yourselves 
are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Church, if we will stand up into our identity as glorious sons, if you will change the way that you think about yourself, the way that you describe yourself, the way that you carry yourself, and start agreeing with God, the world will read the letter and take note. Our altar call this evening is about the death of low living, the death of low self-esteem, the death of disregarding what God says about you. You are not an orphan. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You have been born of the eternal word of God and you have nation changing power inside of you. As we stand to our feet, we stand into the identity of Christ. He is seated in the heavenly realms and he has seated you in the heavenly realms. I know pastors around the globe that have not been given or not understood a tenth of what you have been given. If we will stand up into the calling that God has given us, the world will be changed for it. The only repentance that is needed tonight is our own disregarding of what God has said about the worth of what he's already done inside of you, what he is doing inside of you, and what he has promised to bring to completion inside of you. The mistake that you made last week does not invalidate you as a son. The trial that you face this week does not diminish you as a son. The Word of God and the Spirit of God have declared with power that you are sons of God. It's time that we stand on that. It's time that we believe that. It's time that we live it in a way that the world around us must read it and take note. I am not ashamed. Jesus Christ is not ashamed of you. Put away your shame and stand up as sons of God. Father, we come before you boldly, for you have given us a throne of grace. Lord, we put to death our false identities. 